Hello, I'm Rachel Deere, host of today's program, COVID-19, Keeping Up with a Moving Target. Thank you for joining us. This is the August 18th episode of DKB Med Radio's Coronavirus Educational Series. This activity is jointly provided by the Postgraduate Institute for Medicine, DKB Med, and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. Today's program is accredited for ANCC, AAPA, and AMA PRA Category 1 credit. Please visit our website for complete CE information. If you're tuning into our webcast, please click the Claim Credit button on the webinar console. Otherwise, please go to covid19.dkbmed.com, navigate to our multi-specialty episodes, and select this webinar to claim credit. Today's learning objective is to review lessons learned about oxygenation, ventilation management, and COVID-19, and how to apply these strategies to other patient populations. This educational activity is supported by independent medical education grants from Gilead Sciences, Regeneron Pharmaceuticals, and Eli Lilly and Company, as well as in-kind support from DKB Med. With us today, we have Erin Berry, a nurse at Johns Hopkins Lifeline Critical Care Transport. Erin, thank you so much for your time today. Hey, guys. Thanks. It's uh, great to be back and recording another episode with you, guys. So today, I just kind of wanted to touch on all, kind of all the things we've learned about COVID in relation to ventilation and oxygenation management in these patients that are having the significant ARDS. Um, and it, it actually seems kind of timely because unfortunately, as everyone here knows, we're kind of entering what I think we're calling the fourth wave. So we all enjoyed a little bit of a break, but now we're going to, it looks like we're going to get back into it. So this, in addition to kind of looking at how we can apply these strategies to other patient populations, it's going to probably be a really good refresher for a lot of us since we've had like a little bit of a breather from COVID and ARDS and all the things that come with it. So ARDS and COVID is just, it's ARDS like in any other infectious process, it's um, acute respiratory distress syndrome. So the SARS-CoV-2 virus is um, coming in and invading your respiratory tract, and that's causing um, all those cells to release cytokines and inflammatory markers. And um, a common term that you're probably used to hearing at this point is that cytokine storm that's happening with the ARDS Ardsy COVID patients where you're seeing all this inflammation and lung injury. And as that inflammation and lung injury happens, it's complicating the patients and also our ability um, to ventilate and oxygenate them effectively to maintain organ function. So we've learned a lot of like little tricks during COVID um, or relearned a lot of little tricks in COVID. None of these uh, things are super new to anybody, but they've all kind of come to the forefront. And um, I think everyone's learned quite a little bit, but so here we'll just jump back into some of it. So the first thing I wanted to talk about was high flow nasal cannula, which is again, it's, it's not a new therapy, but it's become very prominent during uh, the, the COVID-19 pandemic. And I found this really great um, little picture from um, Rebel EM that kind of breaks down like all the positive things about high flow and why, why we like it so much. So if you just kind of walk through it, it's heated and humidified, it, um, it lets you, so the patient's not getting dried out, um, it lets them maintain their ability to clear secretions. Um, it 
the inspiratory demands of the patient are met. So it's that high flow that really um, you can't get on a regular nasal cannula that makes them not feel that air hunger that they've been feeling. And it, because it does, it's such a high flow, it does give like this little touch of peep. So it increases their functional residual capacity. So that means their, their lungs are able to breathe bigger and deeper. Um, and then this lighter, um, it's just more tolerable for most patients, not everyone, but most patients tolerate the high flow nasal cannula more than CPAP or BiPAP. Um, and you can see a lot of oxygen dilution with a regular nasal cannula that you're not going to see with a high flow nasal cannula. And then one of the most important things is this washout of dead space. So you've got these areas like in your airway where CO2 can kind of like sit um, and then because this high flow is kind of washing all that CO2 out. So you're able to uh, breathe just a little bit easier. Uh, there's been tons of research done on high flow nasal cannula. It's incredibly safe and effective. And uh, during this pandemic, it's, we've been using it more and there's been doing more research and we found that it reduces your need for invasive mechanical ventilation, which in a pandemic, when you have limited resources, um, there's only so many events that you can use, like trying to, keep patients off the ventilator and, and act earlier is a definite positive. And a lot of these patients, um, once they're stabilized, they can be managed in an ICU setting. So they could be on a step-down unit or an intermediate care unit. And uh, this, the high flow nasal cannula, like outside of COVID, can be used basically with anyone who has any type of hypoxemic respiratory failure. Um, it's very popular in the NICU. Uh, and in pediatrics, uh, especially with RSV, which we've seen a nice little shift to the summer. So we've seen a lot of RSV kids coming in. Um, it's great for patients that are having um, like lung issues waiting for lung transplants. So it's got basically any hypoxic respiratory failure is it's a good fit for them. Um, the one caution would be if you're hypercarbic, this may not be the best therapy. So then we've also definitely, um, I'd say relearned a lot about lung protective ventilation with these patients, uh, specifically looking at two different things. First, I'm gonna talk about low tidal volume ventilation, and then we're gonna talk a little bit about optimizing pressures. So there's been a ton of studies that have shown that there's um, incredibly positive impact on mortality when you use a low tidal volume ventilation on patients. So what do we mean by low tidal? low tidal volume ventilation. So that's going to be four to eight mLs per kg of predicted ideal body weight. And this comes from ARDSnet, which is something that we probably all heard quite a little bit about. They make excellent recommendations on how to manage the ARDS patient. So when you're doing these low tidal volume ventilations, um, the important thing to remember is setting your rate to achieve the desired minute ventilation because you're lowering your tidal volume so you have to increase your respiratory rate. So uh, your minute ventilation is your respiratory rate times your tidal volume. So a lot of times you're having to give um, a little bit of permissive hypercapnia for these patients because they are taking lower volumes. And one of the things you really need to keep a close eye on is the risk of auto peep because you are increasing the respiratory rate. And one of the ways that you can look at that on the ventilator, looking at your inspiratory time, making sure that you're dialing that back a little bit to give the patient enough time to um, exhale. And then you can kind of mitigate that, that auto peep. And again, this, this concept's not new. 
this is great for all kinds of arts patients to make sure that you're not giving them that uh, barrow trauma from all these really large tidal volumes and causing uh, ventilator associated lung injury. So this is, this is applicable to pretty much any arts patient that you would see. Uh, and then the second side of the lung protective ventilation is optimizing your pressures. And I think something that I learned and our team learned um, and kind of everybody learned throughout the COVID pandemic that uh, more PEEP isn't always better. We were starting these patients on um, really high PEEPs because we thought that obviously we thought that's what's best for them because they're having these issues with oxygenation. And as we're moving through the process, we're learning that maybe more isn't always better and to kind of to more individualize what we're setting this value to on each of our patients based on what's going on with them. So like with the tidal volumes, you can have this um, trauma to the lungs, this ventilator associated lung injury. And also like when, you, when you're increasing the PEEP, you're increasing your inner thoracic pressure. So that can affect your cardiac output. So you're trying to balance what the patient needs um, and not give them more than they need. So there's a couple ways to do that, um, depending on what you have in your hospital. Uh, you can do a PEEP of best compliance. If you happen to have a Hamilton ventilator, which is what we use, you can look at their static compliance. And what you're doing is you're looking at how much pressure you're giving and is that increasing what the lung's doing. So you're, you're titrating your PEEP and looking at what this compliance is doing. And at some point you reach a point where if you add more PEEP, the lung doesn't open up anymore. And you know at that point you've reached what the lung can do and any more PEEP at that point, it's just gonna be um, in, in cause injury. So if you, there's a couple other numbers you can look at and some of these are looked at um, depending on your, your hospital and what kind of ventilator you have to help guide that. So you can look at your plateau pressures and a lot of there, so you have multiple pressures on the ventilator. You have a plateau pressure, and you have a peak inspiratory pressure. So your plateau pressure is the pressure that's applied by the vent to get to those small airways and alveoli. So that's what those, the tiny little parts of your lungs that are seeing, and that's what's gonna um, cause that injury to that lung. So we wanna try to keep that less than 30 centimeters of water. Um, your PIPs can be much higher, and a lot of that will have to do with the airway itself. So it's not, um, you're trying to overcome forces in the airway, but you're not, that, that pressure is not getting to those tiny little parts of your lung that's causing injury. Another uh, number that we've started looking at during COVID are our driving pressures. So you're looking at your P-plat, which again is your plateau pressure that the, that the lungs are seeing. You're subtracting out your PEEP and that's kind of like a pressure gradient. So you wanna keep that less than 15 centimeters of H2O. So again, like the, lung the low tidal volume ventilation, this is great for any patient that is, has ARDS, but it's also, it, it kind of speaks to individualizing our care for each patient and giving them what they need. Uh, prone positioning has been something that's been super popular during COVID. Um, it, it's, uh, there's tons of um, presentations on it. There's a couple on DKB Med. I've done one, a couple other people have, so I won't go too deep into it. But the prone positioning is improving that VQ mismatch. So your ventilation and perfusion mismatch. So you've got like alveoli that are over distended on the top when you're sitting supine and alveoli that are kind of collapsed. And once you flip that person over, you're allowing that back half of those alveoli to open up. 
but you're also shifting how, because blood flow, it'll pool down at the bottom, you're getting that blood flow to all of your alveoli now and, de and um, increasing ventilation and perfusion. Um, this is something that has been done long time before COVID, but during COVID, I think we've all learned that it's, it's an excellent tool to help with these patients. And again, for prone positioning, it's something that you could use for any patient that you are having RZ, hypoxemic, respiratory failure. This will, this will help with almost any patient. Again, um, as mentioned before in previous days, sometimes these patients become unstable, so prone positioning may not be the best for them but it's been an excellent tool in our toolbox. And there's not a ton of research and evidence on it just yet, but there's been a number of studies that have been published about prone positioning in the awake patient, which is something very, very new for the adult population that we haven't seen a ton before COVID. So I'm personally very excited to see um, the, the further research come out and have that become more of an evidence-based practice, but that's probably down the road and coming. So then the last thing I wanted to touch on is pulmonary vasodilators. They've become a little bit more popular during COVID uh, for these hypoxemic patients, especially in um, situations where you're trying to get them from point A to point B for maybe ECMO or some other types of therapies that the hospital that they're at is not able to provide. And again, this is improving BQ mismatch like proning, but just in a different way. So it's, it's like it says, it's vasodilating your pulmonary beds. So it's allowing the, the constriction that you see often with hypoxemia you're to um, relax a little bit and allow the oxygen to get where it needs to go. So you're gonna see your improvement in oxygenation and responders. There is a small group of people that have been found that are non-responders that won't respond to pulmonary vasodilators and you won't see the improvement. And again, this is a rescue therapy. You're just kind of buying time. So it's not, um, it is an FDA approved uh, treatment in pediatrics and neonatology, uh, but it's not something that is gonna, it's not a therapy that is going to do anything with mortality or anything like that. You're, you're basically buying time to reduce that hypoxemia, get their oxygen level to a better place to help them survive to get to the next step. Um, and then there's a couple different ways you can do it. Um, you can do Flolan or Velitri, which are two common ways. It's a nebulized um, aerosolized treatment, or you can do inhaled nitric oxide, which a lot of people have uh, kind of gravitated towards during COVID because of the risk of aerosolization. And like, like every other therapy that we've talked about, this is not new, obviously. It's great for your hypoxemic patient, regardless of the, the cause, whether it's COVID or something else, to get them to a tertiary care center, to get them ECMO or whatever therapies they might need. It's also very helpful in your pulmonary hypertension patients. Um, so there's a lot of different patient populations that this can be helpful with outside of COVID. So we'll just move into a couple of questions that we have. So this is a this is a really important one that we've seen a lot. But is there a risk of generating aerosols uh, with the COVID nineteen virus and in other respiratory virus when you're using high flow nasal cannula or nebulized pulmonary vasodilators? 
So this is something that's been looked at quite a little bit. I know there was a huge concern in the beginning about high flow nasal cannula and generating aerosols. So there's been lots of models and studies done. And while it absolutely can generate aerosols, it's actually pretty low on the list of things that generate aerosols that we're, that we're gonna do for these patients. So it's below a nasal cannula and just above a non-rebreather. So um, what you can do though, because there is obviously that concern of generating an aerosol is a lot of um, societies and hospitals are recommending that you do place these patients in a negative air pressure room and you can put a mask on them, which basically eliminates the, the spread of it. And then again, the nebulized pulmonary vasodilators or any type of albuterol or anything. These, these are pretty high up on the list of aerosolization, like non-invasive, uh, like CPAP, BiPAP is probably your highest. And then the nubbed stuff comes right below that for aerosol production. So that's why a lot of people have kind of leaned towards using an INO, which doesn't, neb which isn't nebulized and it's a little bit um, less aerosol generating. So it kind of depends on what you have and what you can do. And there's definitely ways to mitigate the risks for any of them. And then if high flow nasal cannula isn't available, is CPAP or BiPAP an option? And it absolutely is. Um, and again, like comparing the aerosol generalization between the high flow nasal cannula and the CPAP or BiPAP, you're gonna see a little bit more with CPAP and BiPAP based on the studies that um, have been done recently. Uh, again, put them in a negative pressure room um, and have the, whoever's caring for that patient in airborne precautions. Um, another thing that's been cautioned with the uh, CPAP and BiPAP is being able to closely monitor the patient because there's been a history of um, these patients decompensating and because they're on CPAP and BiPAP, they may not be catching it uh, so quickly. So depending on what you have, CPAP and BiPAP are absolutely options. They're, they're especially helpful in a patient that is hypercarbic that high flow nasal cannula is not gonna be able to uh, manage quite as well. So whatever the patient needs, there's uh, precautions you can take to make sure it's safe and effective. So thanks again for having me. I hope this was helpful. It's been uh, great to come back and uh, thanks again. Thanks again, Erin. If you're tuning in to our webcast, please click the claim credit button in the webinar console to attest for credit. Otherwise, please visit us at covid19.dkbmed.com. Again, thank you for joining us and thank you for your dedication to your patients with COVID-19.